Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Violet Luca, and I'm the digital producer. Film Comment Selects, an annual film festival curated by our staff, comes to an end tonight. This year's program included a live discussion about depictions of people who have traditionally not been in front of or behind the camera, whether that means in films like Life and Nothing More, which opened Film Comment Selects, or studio blockbusters like Black Panther. Along with finding the filmic and critical language, the conversation also included discussions of genre and the limits within them. Here's Film Comment Editor-in-Chief Nicholas Rapold speaking at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. This is sort of informally going to be a start of a series of Film Comment talks uh, that we're we're, uh, aspiring to do on a monthly basis. And I feel really lucky uh, to be starting this way. Uh, with uh, with the uh, the panel that I have here, um, who I will now introduce. We'll just move from from the, from the end. Uh, uh, Antonio Mendez Esparza, uh, director of Life and Nothing More, uh, which we just showed uh, last night uh, in Phil Comment Selects. Uh, thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and uh, Ramel Ross, director of Hale County this morning, this evening. Uh, showed at Sundance and won a prize at Sundance, and which we're also lucky to grab an interview uh, with you at, at Sundance uh, with Eric Hines, who is our nonfiction's columnist. Um, Ramel, thank you so much for coming. No, thank you. <laughs> and uh, Professor Raquel Gates, who uh, has, uh, has a book coming up uh, called Double Negative, and also put together a symposium for Film Quarterly, which actually I think was presented here as well. So. Some of you may have, may have been uh, here for that, which is very good. So I stole you <laughs> for, for this as well. So obviously, this is a you know, large and complicated topic. And it seems kind of daunting to think where to jump in on it. Um, you know, there are obviously big movies out that uh, are one way you, you might think to get into things. But uh, um, Raquel, you, you mentioned that part of the problem when, uh, when films you know, that touch on African-American experience you know, come into prominence is the idea that, oh, this is it. This is the unique thing that we've finally been waiting for. And then finally people are sitting up and taking notice, you know, oh, Get Out is selling, you know, like Gangbusters and, you know, and then, and then you know, Black Panther. Um, but you, you were making an interesting point when we were emailing before that even the very occasion that this is, a, you know, something unique, um, there's kind of an unfortunate byproduct of kind of amnesia that happens about the past. Right. So not to not to open with a rant, um, but <laughs> oh please. Um, no, I mean, but so what what I was what I was saying to Nick over email was that one of the things that I always find a little a little troubling is that when you have I'll say a black cast film because sometimes we're talking about films with black directors and sometimes not, but when you have a, a film like Get Out that opened and um, which I think is a fantastic film and there's so much excitement about it around it, um, but I also saw this this sort of rash of think pieces and essays that that kept citing it as like the first black horror film or the first film to use horror as a genre to talk about race. And as a film scholar, I found that very frustrating because there's an entire, I mean, there's an entire body of of black horror films from the 1940s. There's an entire genre of black exploitation horror films that come out in, in the 1970s. I'm not sure the extent to which Jordan Peele is, is deliberately like drawing from those, but the, I mean, it's not the first time at all in, in, in cinematic history that horror as a genre has been used to sort of interrogate um, matters of, of race and racism. And then similarly, when um, Black Panther came out, 
And I was reading some piece that, again, opened with just as Get Out was the first you know, horror film, da da da. Um, black Panther is the first film to feature a black superhero. I thought, well, it's not even the first Marvel uh, film to feature a black superhero. Like, poor Blade, you know, and Wesley Snipes. Um, but, I mean, so my, my point isn't that these aren't momentous occasions, but sort of what are the politics of needing something to be first such that we erase the genealogy and we erase the work of the filmmakers um, and the performers who perhaps didn't get that big rollout or has sort of been forgotten in some ways by critical history. Um, and for me, it's important to keep those things very much present in, in our conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, and, and you know, on, on that, I'm curious how that idea of being, being the first or uh, how that affects, you know, as a filmmaker, how you think about how you're approaching things. Maybe sometimes there is the urge to clear away what's done before because you need, need to start with a fresh slate in, in approaching experience. I don't know if you want to um, talk a bit about that. I mean, Ramel, I know in terms of um, crafting your, your nonfiction view of, of things, uh, you definitely wanted to steer clear of certain approaches. Uh, you know, you wanted to maybe capture moments more than these tried and true narratives that are, are appearing. Um, I, I should mention that I don't want to categorize your film, but it's definitely uh, a, on that sort of nonfiction side of things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, so. Um, not sure what to say. Um, maybe a couple, one or two thoughts about the first. I'm not sure, you know, if people realize, and I think people are generally ignorant of history. Um, Fair. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I guess I'd be interested, just based on what Raquel said, um, how much of it is just like a language problem? You know, how much of it is just like writing, or how much of it is um, erasure, or how much of it is... Um, just the tendency for people to exaggerate or be hyperbolic. And by no means am I saying that this is not true, what you're saying that it is not a historical problem, because it clearly is, people just don't know. But it's fascinating to read pieces in which I, I imagine for that, that someone wrote, this is the first, and then someone just took that off and said it was the first. So it was just one person saying that, and then everyone else just continued to you know, perpetuate it. And so like, I guess what are the consequences of um, sort of cut and paste journalism? ETC, but as it as Hell County sort of fits into um, sort of the ideas of the first, you know, I don't really think it does. <laughs> I think the film that I made with my producer is here, Jocelyn Barnes. Thanks for coming. Um, I always want to say hello to her. Um, you know, the film, my film, is very much interested in um, sort of what is the the sort of radical subjectivity of Black imagination as it relates to uh, the politics of representation, and I think. From that standpoint, it looks to sort of remove the social constraints from the black image. Um, and then with doing that, how do you be present in the process of looking at the representation of a black person? How can you um, sort of, as I talked with Eric about, how do you embed in the film the veil that W.B. Du Bois talks about? Uh, how do you let someone be conscious of the racialization of looking, but then also fall into humanism, but then also fall back into the social, the social sphere in their head, um, and then sort of create a space in which there's um, something way more beautiful and way more meaningful than just the act of perception and conception. Um, it's kind of what my, my film's about. But also, sorry to talk so long, but with, uh, with the black imagination thing I was saying, it's really fascinating to think about the way in which Black people don't have space to be imaginative in their lives um, and also have the resources to create anything that they want. 
And so in thinking about the film, I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna like leverage my entire life to make this thing. And what if, what if I was like, fuck money, like F the distribution, like what if I was like, I'm just gonna make my, I'm just gonna chisel my Rushmore, like what is my Rushmore, you know? Um, which is something that most people don't have the opportunity to do because they're so burdened with the other ways of having to be in the world. Um, and so I think not only is representation problematic because black people haven't been making images or most people um, that are not white have not been making images of themselves, but also um, there's no infrastructure, there's no space to even consider what that world looks like, you know? And so it's a sort of a tragic um, underpinning of the situation. A vicious circle in a way. Yeah. yeah. If you can ask the question, or oh, the, yes. yeah, I mean, just just uh, this this idea of, of finding a space for yourself as a as a filmmaker to 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 bring uh, you know what you feel is a, a effective representation, effective portrayal, something that feels finding a new language, finding your own language as a film filmmaker that also feels you know has a fidelity in some way. I made two films, but my first film was uh, I'm Spanish, and my first film was in Mexico in a very small uh, village, uh, and even though we share the same language, it was you know. I, I didn't have any of the social upbringing. I was born in a big city, went to a private school, went to an Ivy League school. So you know, I only had language in common. And in that sense, there was also a question about representation. Of what are you doing here, being a foreigner, telling a story about uh, you know, this small town? And, and um, even for me, it's very hard to, uh, it was then, and it, it was for this film, to why are you making this film? You know, it's a question that I ask myself the cast ask me, everyone that meets me ask me, you know. And um, I, I, I have to, in a way, forget history, because if I am overwhelmed with, you know, I just look at the place. I mean, uh, in both films, I only focused on what I saw. And that could make me a little bit narrow and blind to many things, but that was my only solution. Um, I, have to, I had to be a stranger and look at life through their eyes. That's the only thing I could do. And in that limitation, I found uh, you know, a strength and trust. And uh, both films I made with a lot, you know, listening a lot and, and kind of building the movie together. So, so for me, it has always been a question and uh, for the cast and uh, you know, for everyone involved. And in the end, we do the film and you know, it can be uh, horrible. You know, it can be, it's, it's, it's a huge gamble, I think for everyone, it's, you know, it's for anyone that creates anything. In this case, perhaps it's, well, I don't know if it's more or less, but it's a gamble. And uh, in a way, in the end, is they have to trust me. I have to trust them. And together, either we make something beautiful or it's something you want to run <laughs> from. I, I, I wonder how, how it translates um, in, on, on like a, the level of filmmaking and, and the choices you're making, you know, how to shoot a certain scene. Um, how do you take those, you know, those ideas and, and that feeling of being a stranger and using that to, to find fresh eyes, how does that translate into, you know, your dis how, mm -hmm. how distance you, you shoot or that sort of mm -hmm. thing? Uh, well, of course, uh, every, scene, um, every scene is improvised to a certain extent. Uh, I would love to have everything totally improvised. Unfortunately, in some cases, I have to kind of maneuver the film. You know, we have to build, there has to be an A and B and C. So there are some scenes that you need for the film. If not, it will be, maybe I would, I would love to make a rambling film, but 
I don't think, well, maybe they will finance it, but not right now it's, it's not happening. But uh, anyway, so there has to be a sort of order. And even for me, sometimes I often get lost during production. I, I shoot, I've been very lucky actually to be able to make films over, you know, shooting for a long period. And sometimes I abandon the script, you know, I'm very courageous. I abandon the script, I throw it to the paper, trash, whatever. And two weeks later, I'm going back to the paper trash to look for the script because I'm lost. You know, I don't know what to do. But but anyway, going back to to your question, uh, I trust them. I trust the actors to create the scenes that you know. Let's. It's a scene about love. Uh, let's say. Uh, let's say um, you're gonna tell him a secret. I sometimes don't tell them what secret it is. They have to tell them. You know, they find a secret of themselves. Or uh, there is something I see during casting that I. I, I, first, it was a complete surprise for me, uh, and, and so then we embraced it. My first film, the reason I made it was because I met a Mexican man that was working in Fairway, and uh, you know I thought he was just a hardworking man, and you know, but then he goes back to his town and he wants to start a music band, and I'm like, are you serious? How is this possible? No, you should you go back to farm, you know, because I'm, again I'm ignorant. I am, I know I'm ignorant, so you have to show me. And then I went to his village, and you know they had a lot of bands in this new film. Regina, who is the single mother, she writes poetry, you know, beautiful poetry. So of course, you know, I say, wonderful, this, you know. And just yeah. single takes, yeah. and in this film in particular, I really wanted to embrace dialogue. And the dialogue, the way the characters in the film talk, because uh, I really wanted to, to embrace the spontaneous dialogue that could happen in any scene. So I tried to have them run free. Yeah, yeah, and then you use these long takes where people can just kind of follow the thread of their conversation and take time with themselves. And you, you just kind of see people living with themselves and each other in these conversations in, in, in life and nothing more. And that's, that's, I don't know, that's very interesting. I mean, just to think of it in terms of film history and like, uh, you know, art house, let's just say the kind of heart, harsh, you know, art house cinema that sometimes maybe we've shown a little in, in film comments selects, where you have these long grinding takes, you know, where you're just seeing some guy make his way across a forest or something, you know, and the purpose of it is just this kind of endurance, you know, and, and, and the weight of their lives. Um, and, you know, that definitely you're showing something very important. Um, but in this case, you're using the long take to kind of um, let people have a living space, a creative space, and kind of a generative space in a way through their dialogue. And then, I mean, Ramel, just thinking about your your approach in, in Hale County, um, which is, which are kind of moments from many different lives, um, and and you follow um, a couple of people. There's a kind of sort of a thread there that you return to to a couple of people. Um, but a lot of times you're moving among many different lives. And um, could you talk about that that kind of approach, um, which you know, sometimes it gets called fragmentary, but that, that sounds like there was yeah. a thought into it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I even sometimes um, rebuke against fragmentary, though I've used it. It's weird when someone says something, it's just like the next word that comes to mind in some sense, if it's not offensive, you know? Um, I guess that's the way the mind works. But I think um, in terms of, I guess, the approach, one of the initial ideas of the film was to like how do you make a film in which black people aren't consumed? You know, um, we all know that the relationship between at black people, people of color specifically, actually all across the globe, but on the U.S. is one that relates to consumption, consumption of uh, resources, intellect, psychology, spirituality, everything. Just like use, use, use. And so, if you know the the idea, one idea in the film was to like give you access to a visual space 
but not give you all of the person. And analogy I would use is, you know, if you take a portrait of someone and you uh, you show them their entire face, there's like some sort of full access to them that you're giving them. But if you, you know, bring their head down and take a photo from right here, then there's more imagination that's involved with what's going on. It's not as clear what's happening. There's, you can't determine that this um, smile or this facial gesture means X, Y, or Z. And so um, the, everyone's life in the film is shown, but it's shown as a specific moment that is both beautiful and um, unique in its instance, um, is representative of potentially a larger relationship between them and the world. But that's kind of, that's kind of it. It's not enough information there to really uh, draw firm conclusions or to judge, which we say, like, you know, if you remove the, the action of someone doing something very specific, then you don't, you're not able to judge that action. And once you remove judgment from the, the audience's um, space, then they're forced to contend with their own imagination and their relationship to the person as opposed to the action. And they can say, oh, I wouldn't have done that. I should, they shouldn't have done that. It's their fault that they dropped out of school. They didn't turn their paper in. If you just show them out of school, then you're like, what, what happened? You know, and so that's one, those are two of the ideas that have to do uh, with the fragmentation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting showing a decision or not showing a decision. Um, I mean, I, I remember once reading an interview with Frederick Wiseman, and he says, I like to, sh I like to sh always show people making decisions, because that gives me an insight into ideology. But it's interesting to think of it from another perspective, which is that you're also kind of determining things in, in a certain, and determining a view when you, when you do that in a certain way. Just oh, yeah, in. please, I mean, yeah. So what I thought about when, I have this comment in my head for a couple of minutes now, but Sorry. one of the, no, 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 I'm saying, and it's, and it keeps developing the more I'm listening to people talk. Um, you know, one of the things when we talk about, we talk about representation as if it's this like unidirectional thing, right? The filmmaker puts something on the screen and it's just there and the audience just sort of passively takes it, right? And what we don't talk about um, are codes of legibility. Um, how, how are we as audiences who've been seeing films since we were born, how have we already been trained to read certain scenarios, read certain editing decisions, certain aspects of cinematography in particular ways, right? Um, and thinking about the politics of form, um, especially with, um, you know, like Hollywood cinema, which, I mean, not just Hollywood cinema, I mean, the, the, the the, the foundation of cinema in so many ways is, a, is about the, like the celebration of whiteness and sort of, you know, in terms of ideology, in terms of like literal how you white, how you light uh, white actor. I mean, that's sort of, you know, that's embedded in the celluloid. Um, and it's, it's really interesting um, to hear both of you talk about one getting sort of into the heads of um, characters who are not familiar to you personally, for example, um, and how you sort of render their narratives legible to an audience, but then also to Ramel's point about, um, well, I, I, I want to shoot this in this different way because the conventional way of shooting it sort of, just to put words in your mouth and so feel free to um, correct me, um, kind of can like default you into these subject positions for the audience that, that have not always been um, kind or um, uh, perhaps um, demonstrate the complexity of black experience and black subjectivity. So um, that was one of the things I was sort of thinking about as the two of you were talking. Yeah, it seems, there seems to be a lot of, um, in, in the zeitgeist, it, and you know, I don't, the zeitgeist is so big, I can't, I can't even speak to that. I'm gonna take back what I said about the zeitgeist. <laughs> I'm gonna think about it more in terms of, um, there's a lot of people that I've been coming in contact with are talking way more about audience participation. Um, 
which is in which way are we participating in completing the film? And there are certain degrees of that. Um, in no sense, is, like you said, is it unilateral? Um, there's very much uh, an engagement that determines the meaning of the film, you know? Like, and the meaning is different for each person. And as, uh, as, as a creative, the more control and the more understanding you have of form as content, as, um, of structuralism, as semiotics, the more space you have to play with the way in which the, form is, the, the film is completed. Um, and the, the ultimate advancement of whatever goal in making the film you have. Yeah. I, I mean, it's also interesting to think about how that kind of idea of an audience completing a film, uh, you know, plays out, you know, has been playing out a little bit. I mean, I guess Get Out is, again, an obvious example of that, I think, because, you know, I, I actually, you know, I didn't see that at Sundance. I saw that uh, only in, like, in general release, and, and I was with an audience. And you know, <laughs> admittedly, I'm, I'm you know I'm I'm not catching everything. I'm and and I'm catching things because I see people reacting to it, and then and then I can kind of get the thread of things that way. But that's yeah, the movie was completed for me personally by by seeing it in in, in a theater. So that's an interesting experience. And I mean, yeah. I was having seen Get Out twice in the theater with two very different types of audiences. It, I mean, we we also don't talk enough about sort of how the viewing experience itself is not a, is, is not like a simplistic, straightforward thing. I mean, I saw it with one audience, and I felt like they were with me in terms of how we were all reading the film. And I saw it with a different audience, and and people were laughing at parts that I didn't think were funny, and I was laughing at parts that they didn't think were funny. Um, and literally, it's a different text depending on your 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 reception experience, right? Or even um, you know the other like. The, the, Thing um, that obviously everyone's talking about is you know Black Panther, and I'm you know I'm reading so, certain people's responses, and I'm thinking you you're doing a lot of labor in terms of what you're mapping onto um, certain aspects of the film when there when there's no actual. And I don't say this as a critique; I'm just an observation. There's no actual evidence for that interpretation in the film itself, right? Um, but that speaks to the the power of reception, right? And and that it's not just a straightforward the director, you know, uh, you know, the author's intent, and it just sort of went seamlessly through to the audience. I think is fascinating. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And and I mean, and, yeah. And Black Panther is another interesting uh, text in, yeah, in terms of. The, the audience, because I feel like it's speaking on many different layers, which seems like an insane thing to say about a movie that in some ways is designed to be, like any studio release, is part of its intent is to have as broad an audience as possible and not necessarily you know, speak to specifically, you know, lest someone else feel like they're left out, you know? So that's kind of the goal of a lot of big, big studio film in that sense. But that, that kind of, for me, felt like a film where there are a number of different you know, stories that are coded into it that you, you can notice or not notice necessarily. And, and some of them are pretty open, like there's one of the characters having a backstory that you know, is, is grounded in, in, in like, um, you know, uh, growing up in projects, and then that, that being part of, part of its, the, the backstory, which is sort of unusual for a superhero movie in a way. Um, and, and, but there's, because grounding a kind of authenticity in it in that way that you might not expect in a, in a, a work of such fantasy. Um, which for me was still effective, and he uses um, Brian Coogler uses like very basic building blocks of, of um, important building blocks of, of filmmaking in reinforcing that stuff, like and identifying with the people are on the screen. Sorry, now I'm talking too long, but um, but like there's this one moment where you know spoiler alert, 
um, you know, uh, where uh, Michael B. Jordan's character goes into the land of, of, of the afterlife, basically. And he uses this remarkable use of, um, you know, shot, reverse shot, when he's visiting his, his father there, um, where it's him, they do a, a reaction shot, and then they cut back to him, and it's him as a child. Um, and that's not something they do for, for, for other characters who go to, to there. And it's just something interesting, because then you see the child inside that character, um, and you know, admittedly, it's you know, again, uh, you know, superhero movie. But I was pretty moved by that because you suddenly get this window into things that you weren't expecting mm -hmm. at that moment. I mean, in some ways, I mean, as much as you're saying it, it's sort of distinct for a superhero movie, which I, I wouldn't disagree with. I mean, mm -hmm. that's also like the history of auteurs, right? Like, if mm -hmm. we go by the conventional definition, I'm talking like Andrew Serres and like the French New Wave folks um, who define an auteur as a director who is working within the Hollywood system and, and does not have total control over um, his or her, her product and still somehow manages to impart their, their vision, you know, and that's Howard Hawks and that's um, Alfred Hitchcock, right? And so in some ways, like, Ryan Coogler is doing that thing that other, you know, or even like Melvin Van Peoples when he directed his one and only studio film for Columbia which Watermelon, Man, which I love. But, um, right, I mean, but though that, that sort of tension between how do you, how do you impart your vision and how do you like find a way to put too short on the soundtrack for you know in, in Black Panther while also knowing that this is a film that has to sell in Korea and China and they're gonna put like the action figures in Happy Meals and, and I mean that's the challenge, right? Um and in and in some ways, um Ramel, your 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 point you made at the very the beginning of like these are also the limitations of, of filmmaking, right? I mean you can put your stamp on something but you're also working within these 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 limits, whether it's financing or whether it's um, what what the studio thinks their target audience will accept or not accept, those are the limitations. And so the um, the power of, of, of the two of you to be able to say, well, we're just going to, I'm just, I don't care, I'm going to do something else, right? I mean, it's, anyway. Yeah, I mean, it takes takes a fair amount of courage, if I should say, so to like stick with those decisions, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I'm curious, like, for, for each of you developing your films and, and getting input, you know, um, you know, for example, like taking approach where you're doing moments, you know, you, you might you might get some input where it's like, well, we really need to stick more with one character or one person and and how you integrate that into your, your creative process or, or, you know, push back against it. I mean, I guess that's that's also part. How do you how do you work with that when, when you're when you're, you know, making a film, you have an idea of it, but you have people are saying, you know, maybe it should be this other way. I don't know. Well, I'm I'm very I'm very closed, uh, you know, and and um, during development, and the development takes a long period of time. You know, in this film it was over two years. Uh, uh, you know, just casting, and in that casting I met a lot of people. Uh, you know, and I met people that I would, you know, give me 20 lessons in three minutes, and I said, okay, you're going to be in the movie. You know, it was it was a very, you know, sometimes a very easy casting, sometimes uh, you know harder, and then. Um, then at some point, uh, you know, I don't become, I mean, I, I am close through the process of even making, you know, the, the actors don't really know how the movie's gonna end, but you never, it's like, they don't know the end, but every scene they are in total control. So it's, it's uh, and, and I'm very open of to changing things, you know, if, if there are things that are not gonna happen, then we have to take a detour, but in a way the story of the film was simple, you know, it was like a, a few episodes where it had to happen, and how we go to them. So um, I think I, I try to, you know, I try to be open. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I I don't want to make you retell an anecdote from last night, but I found it really you know interesting. Uh, Regina, what the, the, you know the main actress, her reaction to one question about the ending. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean Regina, you know she she, she kind of testifies to her creative yeah, role in things. She, Regina is the is the perhaps the protagonist of the film, and she plays a single mom, and uh, yeah, it's it's she's a wonderful woman, wonderful actor. I mean. First-time actors, but amazing. And but she had a very hard shoot. Uh, you know, the last four weeks were very difficult because she was. Uh, I demanded quite a bit from her in terms of a certain feeling of, uh, you know, this desperation, and she was always fighting. And at some point, she was a little bit uh, concerned that she was going to look like a bad mom, you know. And and she didn't know the ending, and she was always going. But what's going to happen at the end? Regina, I cannot tell you. Uh, no, I want to know because if not, I'm quitting. So I, I, you know, I had a lot of back and forth. Anyway, so we're in Toronto, and uh, it was the premiere of the film, and she's sitting next to me, and you know, we are friends, and I'm looking at her as the movie advances, you know, because I say if she doesn't like it, this is gonna be very bad, because she's gonna tell everyone also. So then she's asked, you know, in, in a big uh, press, uh, not press, you know, with uh, the screening with the audience, she's asked, so what did you think about the ending? The ending is it's a little open, you know, there is no answer. And she says, mm, the ending, I'm not sure. <laughs> you know? So she threw me, she threw me under the bus <laughs> in front of <laughs> No, no, because she was so, you know, charming and she was she was honest also and people appreciate it. And I think perhaps some people in the public agree with her, you know, they, they think, Why why didn't you? So it was it was a very genuine response. I mean, did you have any interest reactions, Ramel, for for your film in in, in terms of you know people? Uh, I mean, because it's because it, it showed at Sundance, and you know sometimes people have a certain idea of a Sundance documentary, and maybe that departs from it in I think a very healthy and <laughs> needed way. Um, but you know, did you find that sometimes people were not react? I don't actually think this was true in, in the actual outcome, but yeah. Yeah. well, I think the documentary landscape has been prepped for the film. With you know films like Camera Person and you know The Prison and Twelve Landscapes, just films that are a little bit, not even a little bit, in, in most cases, not as uh, traditionally um, beginning to end as other ones. And so, and I also think they they did a good job writing a description that was like really inflated, so people know that they're not watching a film that's going to be like this happens and this happens. Um, but in terms of reactions, you know, I think we had like really positive 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 feedback which is something that we 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 took in consideration is like how is the audience going to be in the film at this specific moment you know um if a film is uh the film is if you guys haven't seen it probably haven't seen it is a series of moments and when you make a, a film that is as as using as vast amount of footage that we used and the the instances are not as uh, directly literally um, narratively related to the, the one that comes beside it, the contingency of meaning just becomes like this, this like Pandora's box, this like infinity. And so we had tons of conversations of, uh, uh, my, the edit team was myself, Jocelyn, Mike Krinsky, Rob Moss, and we're like, how, like where is someone right now? And, you know, like how, how are they gonna be engaging with the film? And so it worked, I think we did a good job with our screenings, with our feedback, um, and like really crafting yeah, something, and I guess putting as much control as we can for a, a piece that's hol holistically open, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely, and it's just from such a range of, of different experiences. And this is probably a good moment to mention that you can, you will be able to see this film 
very soon here because uh, it was recently announced that it's in new directors, new films, um, and it's the closing night film. Uh, so definitely, uh, definitely see it, uh, Hale County, this morning, this evening. Um, I think we have, uh, we're sort of uh, running to the last leg of, of the talk. Yes. A question from the audience. Should we focus on class rather than race? Yeah, how does, it, should we be thinking about some films more in terms of class rather than, than, than race? I, um, I mean, you know, I'm not so sure I think that would be effective um, in expounding on the relationship between people of color and people of, that are white. You know, because a, wh a white person that's poor is not considered inferior, they're just considered poor. You know, like a black person that's a black person is considered inferior in some weird way. I think, um, at least that's the word that I like to attach to it, inferiority, not, not, not human. You know, like to me, it's not about humanizing, it's about equalizing in some sense. And I guess I can, it's, it could be a play on words in some sense. Oh, sure. So there, there's more than one way that, there, unfortunately, there seem to be many ways in which people look down on each other in many groups. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess my, my, my question would be, what, what do we view as being the, the goal of, of film, right? And like, is, is it attempting to, to, to sort of prove the reality of something that I think certain people already sort of know, which is, um, or is it about showing the complexity and the nuance and the richness of people living under various um, outside forces, whether that's race, class, gender, sexual identity, or some combination of the above. I mean, that's, that's, that's sort of the power, I think, of a film like Charles Burnett's Killer Sheep, where it's, it's you know, black people who are poor, um, but in, and, you, and you see the, the impact of poverty on them, but it's also not a film that is about poverty. It's a film that's about emotional alienation and, and things of that nature. I mean, I could even, like, Moonlight is like that, right? Where we don't, we're never sort of divorced from the economic realities and the social realities, but it's also not a film that's about that. I mean, I, I, I do think that there's um, one of the, the, as someone who studies, um, you know, race and representation, there's always this sort of urge to want to prove something, um, as if film is that thing that can be an unassailable, um, unassailable evidence of people's experience. Um, you know, and, and for me, I think it's, a, it's, it's good for us to also question if that should, in fact, be um, the motivation behind how we choose storylines and narratives and you know, things like that. Yeah, I think, sorry to, to jump in. Yeah, I remember what I was going to say, and it, it connected based on what you said. I think. Um, yeah, the, the goal of proving something is, is a problem in itself because, you know, uh, the capacity to, like, change someone's mind is really, really difficult if it's not, like, coming from another source of truth that's not intellectual, I think, in some sense. Um, and to get back to what you were saying, you started off with, you know, representation and consumption, which is what this whole thing, I guess, is, uh, is about in some sense. I think that... For me and for the film that we made, it was more, it was like representation is the default thing that's happening, but then for me to move beyond representation, it's about sort of an embodiment. And so how can the camera not point to the community and represent the community, but then how can the camera participate in the life of the community? Um, and then therefore let the viewer be an active experiencer with these people in their lives. And I think that change 
um, centralizes the experience and removes just that whole, no matter that, that colonial gaze regardless. Um, if you can shift the colonial gaze into the inside of the body, impossible. But if you can nudge it in that direction, then in some sense, you're, like, you're shedding your own, um, your own perspective. And so I would, I'd, I'd love to see um, you know, films yeah, take, take even more radical approach of subjective representation, which is acknowledging the camera's finger. You know, and to remove the finger and to sort of internalize it within the spaces in which um, the, some story is trying to be told. I, I think that came up a little uh, in, the, in the interview you did. That, um, I mean, one way of thinking about that is, I mean, in your film that uh, we're kind of looking at, but also looking out from, in a way. So, so you're 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 looking at lives and getting close-up look at, at lives. But you're also sometimes kind of literally looking out from from the way you're using the camera because you, you'll you'll have the camera almost like in the crook of someone's arm or something looking out. Um, so it's it's almost beyond point of view. It's like a, you're at their point of being <laughs> or something, you know. Um, and so that's another way of of um, getting kind of inroad there. Um, I, and then in just a more succinct sense, you know, the beautiful is not the enemy of <laughs> of, of, of 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 films that are recording experience, you know, and. Um, there's often that kind of canard that if, if if you're recording poverty or something and it looks too nice or you know it's it's like oh well this this is just you know beautifying it or something and it's and it's not really that way so it's not authentic so you, it's I mean those two poles sometimes are against each other this idea of beautiful what the beauty and authenticity that's maybe kind of I don't know that, that's a true choice really you know this discussion of poverty um, what's very at least for me. Um, difficulty on the way in the US is the fact that poverty is actually people who work 40 hours a week. And, uh, and poverty also is very much attached to, you know, having a number of things, you know? Like, you know, being overworked and having no time to have any other thoughts. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is very much present in Killer of Ship. Uh, mm -hmm. So anyway, this feeling, but I think that feeling actually goes across, you know, many different, uh, so for me, the conflict with poverty in the U.S. is 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 at least not what I thought, in terms of no health insurance, you know, uh, job security that's very, uh, you know, scarce. No, not a lot of uh, safety nets. Just thinking back in, in you know in in history, like. To say depicting poverty in Italian neorealism, you know, it's it's because the country was just bombed out. You know, it's not. You know, it's a different. than now theoretically, it's in a country that's prosperous, but you still have the, the, the poverty. Um, I know it's interesting from that regard. It's interesting that our idea, lots, our ideas of realism, are so much, you know, originating. Well, that I mean, I just thought when you said um, Italian neorealism, I mean, it reminds me of the. Um, now I'm blanking on stuff. Uh, Something in the air. Is there enough oxygen in this room? <laughs> Open yeah. the doors. Who's, who's the guy from Masters of None? What's wrong with me? Aziz. Thank you. Oh, yeah, Thank you. Aziz. Aziz Randy sorry. with eight A's. Look. Do you guys know his all his us? No one knows. Sorry. It's <laughs> weird. No one knows. I, but I was just thinking about that uh, the episode of Masters of None that Aziz Ansari did that was shot to look like I mean it was like an homage to Bicycle Thieves. And it's, but it's so glossy and it's so pretty and it's it's beautiful and and I was reading some commentary about it and they said oh he's doing this homage to Italian neo realism and, and high art cinema and then I, I was like but wait but that but but that's not what Bicycle Thieves is and so, right I mean it's about like shooting on the street and because like there's no studios and everything's been bombed out and you're using like right I mean but there was something about um, literally like like 
divorcing the form from its point of origin or from its sort of original motivation, which was all in, also in response to Hollywood's sort of gloss and saying, no, we're just going to do something different, right? And so to have that be cited as like the paragon of gloss, I thought was so uh, sort of like fascinating kind of moment. Or oh, only we, they, they afforded only the finest neorealism for right, their right. show. <laughs> Audience question. What's the deal with whitewashing? The Lone Ranger and Blade Runner and others get these elaborate backstories basically to conceal the fact that they are originally black or Native American. No, I, I mean, this is, this is sort of what I meant with my like initial thing about not losing the genealogies of things, right? So, I mean, you mentioned Pulp Fiction, like we could talk about, like, Quentin, this is what Quentin Tarantino does. He, he picks really specific genres and then he like completely erases all of their sort of the, the, the politics that gave rise to them. So, like, what does it mean to do Kill Bill? It's like your homage to the Kung Fu film complete with like the hokey special effects, but then have blonde haired blue eyed Uma Thurman be the lead who chops off or at least the top of like Lucy Liu's head, like the one Asian character. Like, what, like, what are, what does that mean in that genre? What does it mean to make Jackie Brown as your homage to the black exploitation um, genre and and Pam Greer, but pair with a white love interest. Like, they, I mean, and those are things that that are problematic in terms of the genre that he's using, right? I mean, this is, when I mentioned Get Out, it's the reason that black horror films in the 70s were able to do what I think are some really like fascinating interrogations of race is because it's a B-movie genre that nobody cares about, right? That was never supposed to be like nominated for an Oscar, so they can do all kinds of inventive things. And if, if we don't understand that that's how Jordan Peele gets to do that and, and get out, then we've sort of lost an entire understanding of like how genres operate. And I agree with you. I mean, what we're seeing are essentially like a pastiche, right? People taking um, sort of the recognizable bullet points of the genres, um, but emptying their sort of more salient political content. Uh, yeah, and it's just fascinating, this idea that that actually becomes the narrative engine for <laughs> in, in, the, in the process that, you, oh, great, you know, I, I, I got whitewashed the race, and now I have my structuring absence <laughs> that'll explain someone's origin. Uh, I, I mean, to be honest, I never thought of Blade Runner that way, so call me, uh, yeah, better informed now. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting how this idea of the, the freedom that a B-movie gives you um, a little bit to, uh, in what you're saying, because um, that almost brings us, you know, a bit back to, to Black Panther, which is, you know, it doesn't have that latitude, and it still seems that's, I guess, it, it, I'm not saying it's unique, but it, there, there is something bold about it in, in, in that way that it doesn't have that, the, um, I won't call it safety, but the less conspicuous, you know, position that a B movie does, um, and I mean, and I guess Get Out was was the same way. I mean, the way that. You know the, that production house does things. It's like they have a five million dollar cap on, on the movies they make, and and other than that, you have total creative freedom, and that then allows Jordan Peele to to, to do something uh, like that. Um, so that that's it's interesting to to think of that. I mean, um, I mean, does that sort of thing apply for for for, for each of you a bit that you feel a certain freedom? I mean. You know, uh, I I would love if your film was playing in multiplexes all over the country, <laughs> but but it, it, it but it's it is probably someone going to be a, a you know knock that's that's not that's not it's necessarily des destiny, but in a way that that allows you to be more experimental. But then then I always wonder is like, well you probably as you've been saying, you want people to be exposed to more expen experimental techniques to kind of you know reinvent their viewing and understanding of things. I mean, how do you reconcile those those kind of things that anticipated audience and then really the desired audience. Yeah. Well, it's really hard, you know. I think yeah. you have to have a pretty strong um, 
the, the spirit of the film. You can't, you can't compromise on the spirit of the film um, for any reason, I think. But I think then the goal after that is figuring out the way in which it's most palatable um, f for the sake of communication. You know, like, what's the point of speaking another language to someone if they don't understand? Like, if this makes, actually makes no sense, you shouldn't make it. Um, but in terms of like the multiplex experience, I think the I think a problem is is that specifically in the U.S. it seems that the like the logic of capitalism has like gone so far that we're not even interested in promoting culture. But this, the the money aspect is way too far because there's a lot of films that if they were giving the support and backing, people would go see them because you know we're not not complex people that don't want to be challenged, even if it's unconsciously. It's just that people know that these markers of race, these markers of story, like execute whatever sort of audience, and so people can, can go see it. So I think it just needs a change from the top. People, we just need to be more concerned with the culture or what we're promoting as people, as opposed to what, um, what the opposite is, which is, I think is, well, I guess we're in the middle ground, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean that's something that I really loved about Moonlight. I mean, here is a film that got that top recognition and 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 you know did pretty well. And and but it's using this kind of multi-panel, this kind of triptych approach, which is sort of a fragmented approach, which is something a little a little a little new how it's doing. And I feel I've maybe been seeing that happening more. That that kind of um, taking a mosaic approach to experience in a way as as um, as an alternative to like really nitty-gritty social realism of some sort. You know, um, you know. I could sort of maybe call your film a bit mosaic a bit in its in its approach, um, and then I felt even at Sundance there were a couple of films that were kind of dividing things into a few a few blocks. Um, but yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, for for me, and ha I I didn't actually see um, uh, that film, so I can't speak directly to that. But to your 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 larger question, I mean, for me, I think we have to get out of the the question of identity and into the question of ideology um, because you know I one of the the most powerful films I saw about black adolescent girlhood was Anna Rose Homer's The Fits and that that's a white woman director um, I've seen some of the most cliched uh, representations of blackness done by black directors right because it's it's not just a matter of like identity it's about your subjectivity and your subject position um, so I mean, I do think there should be a question of sort of the like the acknowledgement of your own subjectivity. I think particularly from non-black directors trying to trying to direct black stories, right, to make sure they're not inadvertently slipping into certain tropes or representational strategies. Um, but for me, the question is always about ideology. You know what I mean, rather rather than straightforward identity. So. I have a quick thought about that. Super quick. I mean, my question in terms of that is whether and like what. If I was, if I'm a, a black person and I'm going to make a story about something that is not of my own in some superficial way, not of my own, um, I would say, what would the person who this is of their own, what story would they make of this? And I think that's the question that people don't ask. Like, I don't think that Catherine Bigelow was like, if I was a person of color, what, how would I tell this story? I think she just told her version of the story, um, which is. Um, I didn't see the film either. It I just doesn't seem like I'm really, I'm not, not very interested in it. But um, I think that distinction is really important because black people just don't tell stories in the same way in some sense than white people. And to, to recognize that is to recognize that you're just bringing something different, you know? I saw Detroit and I, and I know it was, it was pretty criticized. I, I thought it was a very brave film. Uh, it was very ugly. Ugly, ugly, ugly as hell, but you know, very brave. The actors in that film, you know, they interpreted 
horrible but real people. When I mean real, I mean I'm saying complex characters. Uh, and um, the things you've you talked about were my questions when I faced the film I, I just made. Uh, and what you said, I think, is you said it much better than I would. I guess I'm going to use your words. Uh, I was always questioning my own subjectivity, my own perspective, and always trying to reach out and to see how we were going to tell this story. And, and I knew that when the movie was done, we'll see. But I think it's very important, you know, it's very important to put work out there. Look, even if my movie was horrible, still, look, it was something done not only by me, but by a lot of people. And there was an intent and it's a work of art. You know, sometimes we are just paralyzed by fear. It's good to embrace. And of course, then you have to be responsible with what you do. But I would encourage everyone to try to do, you know, if you have passion to tell a story, it's, it's not easy. You don't shoot a film on an iPhone in Maybe you can, you know, but in a day, it takes a lot of, <laughs> you know, but you know, it takes a lot of, you know, passion and, and courage and commitment and, and I'm talking about representation, you know, and, and, and I teach film and I have very different students and sometimes the stories they, they want to tell, I, I feel they, they, they may in some cases be inappropriate or be, well, maybe they hear this podcast, so I won't say much, you know, but, but I may have questions, right? Like intellectual, but am I going to stop them? No. Okay, I may ask them about subjectivity, mm -hmm. and if they are willing to go, okay, you go, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right, but so I, I am, you know, I, I think it's important to, to encourage and to create things, you know, so we can talk about them, even if we just to trash them, you know. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, you have to make it, like, you have to learn through making in some sense. But, you know, I forgot, I just remember what her film was about. I can't imagine, and this, I'm probably gonna regret saying this, I can't imagine, I don't know any black filmmaker that would make a film that graphically depicts black people being tortured. Like I don't, I, I just don't think that that would be the story that would come up about that. It would be like some other angle on that aspect of it. But I heard it was like really gory and there was like, am I, yeah, very intense. I just don't think that that would be the focus of it. You know what I mean? So what does it mean if that's always the focus of these films or people are making this the focus because that's what they're interested in? Um, and you know, I like to, to connect like representation and self-representation between like choosing your own clothes and someone giving you a costume, you know? Um, that's like a costume of the experience, perhaps, in some like really general um, way. But like what is it when someone wears their own clothes, their own culture's clothes? They get to choose and they get to mix it up. Um, and it always looks different, you know? But once again, like I'm, I also teach and there is nothing more important than giving someone the freedom to do anything they want. But, they, but encouraging openness to be extremely um, rigorous with the way in which you're understanding the way in which images are relating to all other images and that they come, blah, 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 blah. For me, my characters are always heroes and they are always um, like working class people. And I, I'm, I have to say, again, even to the despair of some of my, of my students, I am not a fan of Marvel films in the sense of, you know, films about an elite or a, you know, super person saving you. And uh, you, you, uh, they're actually often born into that quality, you know? And, um, and actually, I, at least in my films, I try to show uh, heroism in the everyday of, you know, the whatever may be. The, in, in a case, the uh, a normal Mexican immigrant who had dreams and had a family and had to you know, put a lot of effort in everything he does. And in this case, you know, in, it's a single mom that's gonna fight for her son as much as she can against a system that's, uh, so I, I am 
I am much more interested in the struggle of the individual against the system than, uh, and that person becomes the hero uh, than in this. I don't know if I answer, but I, I, I did, I, I do see my characters as hero, but just in a, in a, in a, in a sense, uh, the individual against a sort of system. I mean, for me, I think if, if I were to riff on your question a little bit, for me, one of the, the, the problems is the way that um, heroes have been rendered cinematically, right? And so I really like your point of trying to show the heroism in, in the everyday, but cinematically, for me, the, the heroic is always connected to domination and empire and, uh, do you know what I mean? Um, and being like the last, literally the last man standing. I mean, that's always what it is. And so in some ways, for me, Black Panther, um, you know, sorry, like T'Challa's kind of the most boring character for me just be because he's rendered in that very conventional, um, you know, as a conventional cinematic superhero, and I, I don't find that interesting. Um, you know, I like a little bit more sort of complexity. I mean, I would, I always point to, you know, like the 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 X Men series in Marvel, right? You know, where I think Magneto gets to be complex and and perhaps more of an antihero. Um, but I, I, I mean, I think that there's a real sort of like a, a hunger and a longing to sort of see black bodies uh, mapped onto these conventional cinematic tropes that they've never gotten to occupy before. Um, but for me, I, I also think we need to render that a little bit uh, uh, problematic, right? And, and some of these tropes, I don't, I, I don't really think are ones that we need to be aspiring to, um, as opposed to something a little bit different. I mean, black exploitation was all about giving us black heroes, some much more interesting than others, and some who are literally a hero because they kill everybody and like smack women around, right? And um, I, I think it's you know what we need to be doing is thinking about how we're, what does it mean to be a hero in terms of American cinema and whether that's something that we think people of color um, that that that's a win right or is that in some ways essentially just replicating hegemony? Yeah, this isn't um, that's so true. What's it called? Uh, this is not an answer to your question, but more like I was I saw Black Panther yesterday. And I loved it for all the right reasons, but then you know there's also tons of reasons why um, it is problematic. But thinking about the lead up to me watching the film, what kind of took my breath away more than anything was uh, a Ryan Coogler interview beforehand. Um, and it was super short. He said like one or two words. But then I was like, now when someone's walking down the street and they see a black person, they're gonna be like, basketball player, musician, director. You know what I mean? Like he's now because like he, he's very much not interested in like um wearing a certain tie when he's speaking or you know conforming to um this sort of business thing he's like just seems like he's just a, a kid that is clearly really smart and he's not performing his intelligence at any point in time um and that there's like i don't know a heroism in like just all of a sudden like these new I markers of icons for what it can be to be a black person in the world um, and to contribute in society. And I was, after the interview, I was just like, so, like my body, I was just like moved. I was like, damn, like that's, there, we have another marker. There's another mark, you know? Yeah. Fruitvale Station and then taking a, a property like a Rocky, you know, and turning it into something that has actual heart as he yeah. did with Creed. And then, you know, I, I always think of these giant studio movies of like cruise liners, you know, and you're trying to make some some different change or something, leaving some interesting imprint, some creativity, and, and he's managed to do that. Well, I think we've sort of run to the end of time that we have here. 
but thanks everyone for coming and thanks so much to our, our panelists. Thank you. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast, produced by Violet Luca and Nicholas Rippold, with music by Greg Anji. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth reviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomet.com slash subscribe to purchase a digital or print subscription to the magazine, or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, and Kindle at filmcomet.com slash app.